This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Father Jim McDermott. Father Jim is a Jesuit priest and associate editor at America Magazine. He recently wrote an article in America called Sex and Confession, Five Helpful Guidelines. So what happens when we Catholics have a bad experience in confession? You see, there was a big blow up on social media about people's poor experiences at confession. And I thought it was really important for us to talk about that because it struck a nerve and a lot of people started sharing. And so in that vein of solidarity with everyone else that has had a bad experience, I'm going to share mine in the hopes of letting you know that you're not alone. I've had one too. And maybe we could talk in this conversation with Father Jim about how do we deal with that? What can we do? I converted to Catholicism at age 12. Nobody in my family was Catholic. I went to Mass by myself, Holy Days of Obligation, you name it, all of that. So I lived the faith as a sole Catholic as a child in my family. So it was doubly hard when I went to confession as a child. I guess I was about 13. And basically what happened is something happened in the family and no one took me to Mass that particular Sunday. So as soon as I could, I went to confession and confessed that I had missed mass. And this particular priest told me that he would not forgive me, that it was not forgivable, that that was such a very terrible sin that I had missed mass. And being a child and being a convert and having no really context or understanding, I just was like, I'm just simply not forgiven for that. And so I can't remember how long I didn't go to receive the Eucharist because I knew I had this unforgiven sin on my soul. Therefore, I was not able to approach and receive our Lord in the Eucharist. It was a, a quite a long time. And the next time that I went to confession, I was just like, Father, you know, I, I don't know what to do about this sin that's not been forgiven. And he's like, what do you mean it's not been forgiven? And I explained the situation. And he, you could just hear him exhale on the other side of the screen. And you, I could tell he was bothered by it. And he was like, no, child, you are forgiven. And I'm thankful to God, actually, it wasn't enough to have separated me from the faith because it could have been quite easy to do that. My experience is different from the person who shared hers on social media in that, you know, I was a child, you know, and I was not confessing a sexual sin, but I was a child. I was trusting. And the similarity is that the harm that was done to me as a result of this bad experience. It's something, I mean, even decades later, I still remember it. I remember the hurt. I remember the bewilderment. I remember the, well, what does this mean for my soul? Not being really clear on if heaven was closed to me permanently because I had this unforgivable sin on my soul. And I'm hoping for some people to listen to this discussion that I'm going to have with Father Jim, where they'll find out more about 
what happened on social media and that person's story, but also maybe that it gives some guidance and comfort to everybody listening. And also to let you know that if it has happened to you, you know, we're sorry and you're not the only one. So if you're feeling alone, like this has only ever happened to you to let you know it isn't, there are plenty of us. And maybe even grasp a little of how we made it through, what made us continue to come back, what made us stay with the face. So stay tuned for that conversation. More be coming up with me and Father Jim. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, where real, honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. And that's unique. You may not agree with everything we publish or even everything we talk about on this podcast. And that's okay. I mean, that's healthy. We need to listen to each other and be open to different ideas and perspectives. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by getting a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Father Jim McDermott is up next. Father, I'm so glad you're here with me to talk about this. It's the Sacrament of Reconciliation is so important. And I imagine there are some listeners who don't know what the Sacrament of Reconciliation is. So what is it? What is the Sacrament of Reconciliation? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Gloria. So the Sacrament of Reconciliation is that moment when a person comes to a priest, often in like a booth, like a confessional, we call it. Yeah. And they sort of talk about whatever sins they've been carrying. And what we understand is it's it's a moment in which those sins can be released because we believe that God sort of enters into that experience and forgives them. So it's it's like when we come to have things forgiven for and to sort of move on, to sort of start again as the people we want to be. So what does the sacrament do? Like, does it have an effect on our souls? I mean, I have a thought about it. I think, yes, but I'm sure you could probably explain it much more deeply than I can. Sure. Like, at least my own experience, both as a someone who's gone to confession and as a priest, is that it's actually, uh, you know what it reminds me of is like the anointing of the sick, where mm. it's a moment where what are we doing? We're saying some words, we're saying some prayers. So on the surface, it seems like, well, that's just, that's what we do all through our life. How <laughs> right. is this somehow different? Right. But in the moment, there is this experience at times of like, of just freedom, whether it happens in the actual experience of confession or when you leave, this sense of like, starting again. Is that similar to your experience? Yes. Let me tell you something. Sometimes you feel like something lifts off you. Mm. You know what I mean? I've also been to a confession with a priest where it legit feels like he's doing surgery on my soul. I mean, I almost feel like he's looking and Mm. taking out the fragments of whatever it is that's broken away, broken up into my soul. And it impacted me. So I felt like he's doing surgery. I could feel things just being removed from me. I can't even describe it. But I've had that experience before, but I do know and really believe that it is the healing of our relationship with God that's been broken through sin that happens there. Because mm. someone was trying to tell me, why don't you just see a therapist? <laughs> you know, and I was like, because it has no sacramental grace there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know>? Hello. <laughs> yeah, that's so. That's such a common question, especially for people who who are not Catholic or have never been through the sacrament, that 
and I think, you know, a therapist can help in so many oh, ways, yeah. help us see the patterns mm -hmm. of choices we're making and how do we get free of them or history that's kind of led us to them. Mm -hmm. But I completely agree. Like the sacrament of confession, like I have one thing that they teach us in class about becoming confessors and that I frequently say is just to be clear, I'm not a therapist. So right. you don't want me to do therapy with you. Like, <laughs> right, be a mess. Right, right, but I know right. how to be present. I hopefully at my best, how to be present with someone in their own sort of situation, whatever that is, and try to listen and be welcoming and accepting. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of context here around the Sacrament of Reconciliation, why mm -hmm. you and I are having this discussion right now. Sure. And maybe just talk a little bit about what actually prompted you to write this article about confession. Sure, absolutely. Well, about, I guess it's maybe a couple of weeks ago, if not quite a couple of weeks ago, a woman named Zuri Davis, mm -hmm. she went on Twitter and she wrote about a very recent experience of confession in which she had confessed something about her sexual life. And the priest had responded with a lot of uncomfortable things like called her a doll, asked if she'd ever been sexually assaulted. And it was just a, quite a series of appalling, really, things. And then, so she shares this, which I just think is an act of great bravery and also of great service to the church, because the sacrament is not something we often hear about what goes on within it. And then many other women started posting, and some men as well, stories of their own experiences, whether it was, I think a lot of them were about sort of sexual things. If they talked about sex, priests said terrible stuff. But then it was also about other things as well. A nun. Quit her job, yeah. Yeah, exactly. She talked about having quit her job and she went to confession and mentioned that. And then the priest came down on her for quitting her job and then only then asked <laughs> why, why? <laughs> she said, I became a nun. <laughs> I almost fell out of my seat when I read that, which is like, you know, I imagine hopefully he was like super embarrassed at that point. Like, <laughs> Yeah, just, you hope. You know, it's like she quit her job to go to the convent. Oh, gee. <laughs> so there were yeah. these, there were all of these painful stories. And then, and so we at America were talking about, well, we should talk about this and what talk about what can we offer that could help people as they're thinking about going to confession, especially in general, but also especially if they're thinking about confessing something about their sexual lives. Yeah. I mean, how do, how do we even deal with that? I mean, a bad experience with a priest hearing. And, and as a priest, you too go to confession. Let me just say this for our for listeners sure. that don't aware, our priest, our Holy Father, the Pope goes to confession, our bishops, everybody goes to confession. <laughs> so I don't know if, if there's any experience that you've had that you felt like, gosh, this is not a good one, maybe even before you became a priest. It's funny, actually, I've certainly had some experiences that were not great, but probably the worst I've ever had was after I became a priest, which you would think by that point, I had been a Jesuit 11 years already. You'd right. think like, I've seen it all right. you know, it's, and I'm fine. But I had, I had an experience where I went to confession with someone I knew actually, and he just wouldn't stop asking me questions. Oh. And I found myself unexpectedly kind of paralyzed, yeah. like locking right back into sort of the school days childhood yeah. thing of like, you just have to do whatever the priest says. So right. I just kept answering them and thinking like, eventually this will end. And it just wouldn't. Wow. And in the end, I felt just enormously violated, which yeah. I'm sure is not what the priest intended. Sure. But still, I just felt like, I don't know what had happened, but it was just a very terrible experience. Yeah. I understand 
that priests want to ask us things to help get to maybe us understanding a particular thing about maybe the context of situations, our own tendencies toward particular sins, whether it's sure. gossip or greed or sloth or whatever, right? It yeah. doesn't always have to be sexual. Let's just, for our listeners that are wondering, sure. it can be anything, okay? Because we <laughs> yes. all a broken mess, a lot of boxes of broken parts, okay? So it can be anything. Yes. And, and sometimes they ask, and even if it's not a sexual, sometimes you can still feel uncomfortable and about a boundary. Mm. But at the same time, you're like, but I want to get to the root of this and I want to sort of confront, you know, whatever this is. Yeah. And you also don't want to like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you feel like, if I interrupt, am I like, <laughs> am I committing another sin? Like, right. am I or ruining the possibility of this being a good confession? But so how does that work? Like, do we have boundaries where we could say, you know, I'm not really comfortable with that? How do we do that? Yeah. So I think it is an act of courage for most Catholics because I don't think we're raised to think this way about what happens in the sacrament. We want to trust the priest. We want to trust the process. And we come in a vulnerable way. And I think when you're vulnerable, you're less guarded and you're less likely to stand up. But absolutely, anyone going to confession has a right to sort of set boundaries. So if a priest, because ultimately a priest is not a judge, they're sort of, like you say, like an intermediary. They're trying to sort of manifest or help Christ be present in the moment. Yeah. So that means like they don't actually have to understand everything that we're saying. They don't, they're not a judge. They're not a cop who's like, let me like right. catalog all the sins. You get like, the ticket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we come with the catalog, right? We're the right. ones that bring the list of like, here's what's kind of weighing on me. And so if there are moments where someone asks a question that a priest asks a question that feels over the line or or you're just like, I don't even know, have an answer to that. It's completely okay to say, you know, I prefer not to answer that, or I'm not sure how to answer that right now, but I am here for absolution and for penance. So you can express a certain, you can make it clear to a priest, I'm still here for the sacrament. I'm not trying to be difficult, but right. there are lines. Like there are some things I'm not going to be able to talk about right now. Yeah. And I've said, I don't know. Cause I didn't, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, so we do have rights. As a penitent, I think you point that out in your article that we're not powerless or helpless. So what are the tips you have for penitents? You know, what tips do you have for us? Yeah, I'd say, you know, the most useful thing that I find just personally is before I go into the confessional to take a little time to sort of sit with, okay, what is it? What's the most important thing I need to say today? Yeah. Like as a priest, If somebody comes in and they have, say, four or five things that they're confessing, what I'll often do, the one question that I will often ask is, of those things, what feels like the most important right now or the one Mm -hmm. that's weighing on you the most? Yeah, Yeah, because that's probably the most important thing in terms of if you need to talk further or just the thing that you, not that you don't need release from all of them, but that's the one that we really want to make sure we raise up to the Lord in the sort of the highest way. Yes. So we can do that ourselves, right? Before the confession begins to sit with and say like, okay. And if it's about sexual sort of related matters, I think that's even a more useful tip because sex is often not about sex at all, right? Mm -hmm. It's about other things. It's about my relationship with this person or my sense of what's appropriate as a Catholic, as a man or woman. So to like, to sit with that, sometimes you don't have that clarity and that's totally fine as well. But if you can take a moment before you get into that confessional to really 
just have a little talk with yourself or have God help you see, well, what's the most important thing? Yes. Yes. That's such a good thing. I, you know, cause sometimes I think we want to create so much distance and space between the sin because we feel bad about it, that we actually don't sit and actually really probe and say, well, what is burdening me of all these things? What is the most burdensome to me or even why? But if you do experience, well, first of all, how would we know if an experience is, quote, inappropriate or abusive behavior from a priest? What would be some red flags in your opinion? First of all, I think instincts are important to trust. Ah, like if okay. if my own, if I'm sitting in a confessional and something seems, sometimes you have that sense like, I don't know, this doesn't feel right somehow. Mm-hmm. God gives us, you know, the Holy Spirit lives within us and gives us instincts to pay attention to. So that can sometimes be the beginning of a red flag is like, okay, I, I need to trust, I need to pay attention to what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I'd say if a priest were to ask questions that seem irrelevant, Ah, okay. Like, for instance, in the story that sort of sparked this from the woman who was tweeting about it, there were a number of comments that priest made, like he called her a doll, and then he was asking about whether she'd been raped. Yeah. Like, that didn't seem at all relevant to what she had come to confess. So that, I think, is a pretty big red flag that something is awry in the communication. It might not mean that the priest is a bad guy. Right. It might just be that he's not understanding what I am here to talk about, and I might need to either sort of guide him back or just put up a line and say, okay, I don't really think I have more I can say on this, but I am here for absolution. Right. So now I was thinking, well, why does he need to know if she's experienced that kind of sexual trauma yeah, or not? Yes. So it, would it be just like cut the line, you know, and say, well, I'm actually here to talk about X, Y, and Z. Or should they say, how is that relevant? But I guess you don't really even want to open a door to that necessarily. I don't know. I think you're right. I think asking the priest to explain how that's relevant, if something's not right with them, then you might be just opening yourself to further strange stuff. Yeah. So I think to be able to draw a line and just say, you know, I don't really have more to say about that or that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about this. Okay. I'll to confess this. So can a person get up and walk out? I mean, if they're like, if they don't relent, I mean, can we leave? Yes. And it doesn't even have to be that something terrible has happened. You don't have to wait for that point. Right. If you don't feel like this is working, then mm. you're completely within your rights to sort of stand up and go. Maybe you say to Father, I don't think this is actually working for me and leave, but you don't even have to do that. You can just get up and go. Right. And that's not a sin. The thing I think that's most important to remember about confession is that it is for the penitent. That experience is meant for you, the one coming to confession, not for me, the priest, right? So if it's not working for you, then leaving it behind is completely okay. That's completely within your rights. So how does the grace work through the sacrament? Like when it goes through all these bad circumstances, like we just talked about? Yeah, it's funny. That's a great question. This is more a hunch. God works even in the midst of us being a mess and us not just being us that are going to confession, but priests that are messy as well. And whether it is that we leave and have to go to somebody else for confession, or we leave and say, I'm just going to need some time now to sort of process what has gone on here before I'm willing to even consider the sacrament again. I feel like from the stories I've heard and my own belief in the Holy Spirit, that the Lord is with us in that and that grace can come in some unexpected ways, even after some experiences that are painful. Yeah, because I imagine there's some people listening saying, well, why do y'all keep going back? The grace of it, yo, <laughs> we really, <laughs> we believe 
you yes. know, that he's present and that the Lord uses broken instruments sometimes, right? Or broken situations sometimes. So and that's true. not the end all be all. This one bad experience doesn't mean you can't encounter the grace of God in the sacrament, right? But then I also, in this young woman's tweeting about her bad experience, Somebody told her, well, just pray about it and accept, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was reading that like, what? No, honey. Yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> what? I, I just think, <laughs> why would you not say something if it was that bad? So do you think we should report it? And if so, are the mechanisms for doing it? Yes, yes. Uh, here's like a general point about being a priest. It's one of the weirdest things I find about being a priest. And I've been <laughs> one for almost 20 years. People don't give you feedback. There is no built-in mechanism, and Catholics tend to, they have such high respect for their priests yeah. that they often, even when we mess up, like we do a series of boring homilies, we don't seem to be doing very well at that. <laughs> it happens, right? Tell me. Uh, <laughs> or we mess up in the confessional. We never hear feedback that helps us understand that yeah. we are not doing this very well and that we yeah. need to learn some things. So, yeah, I personally, when it comes to confession, I feel like, and it doesn't have to be the worst confession ever either, but if there are things that went on that just you wish the priest had done it differently, yeah. I always think there's two people to talk to. The pastor, like whoever the priest's sort of boss is in a yeah. way. Yeah. And also maybe somebody that's on like the parish council or a lay person who's not sort of, connected to the sort of the, the priestly side, but is someone that's sort of friends to the priests and can sort of make a comment like that, okay. you know? In some situations, I think you could talk to a priest directly, but certainly if you do that within the context of the confessional, it can be really weird. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you might not want to At say to the, yeah, or even later say, hey, I was in your confessional. You may not want right. to reveal that, you know, right. that's because you have the right to privacy yourself. We'll be right back. So I will say I've had the experience of my husband, my daughter, and I were out of town and we went to confession. Mm -hmm. And the priest was very, like he was taking his time with the people who obviously who had been in there, I guess he knew were locals, maybe knew their voice or whatever. But mm -hmm. my husband went in, boom, out. I went in and my man was so brusque and rude. Oh. And then when my daughter, who's young, she's not even a teenager, she's like 10 came out and I could tell something was wrong because we, you know, and anyhow, mass was starting. So while we were on our knees praying before mass started, I said, was Father Brest with you? And she sort of, I said, oh. well, Jesus forgives you and mommy and daddy are going to talk with the priest afterwards. And she was like, no, no. I was like, oh yeah, no, no. We're going to have a conversation with the mm -hmm. priest. And so what ended up happening is my husband's like, let me handle this. <laughs> so as soon as mass was over, he's like, Father, a word. He's like, we went to confession and I need to tell you your approach in dealing with the child was not good. And we are not oh. trying to destroy our daughter's faith. And so the way in which you spoke to her was not of a loving father looking to help her with her relationship with Jesus. Mm. You were gruff and it shook her. And we don't want that experience for our daughter or for anyone. And so you need to be made aware of this, that wow. you are not helping when you speak to people in that way. And so father was shocked. <laughs> you know? Sure. And he said he was sorry. And my mm -hmm. husband was like, you need to say that to my daughter. 
<laughs> so we also needed to make it right for our daughter to help her understand that she's not to be treated that way yeah. in the confessional, especially when she's had so many wonderful experiences with priests. So that one bad one really made her worried and afraid. And is God angry with me? Am I forgiven? All that stuff. And so, yeah, we were kind of heated. <laughs> so I really appreciate you sharing that because I don't think I've heard many stories like that myself as a priest. And the way you describe it, like how very clear you were or your husband was about this is oh, the yeah. problem. Mm -hmm. This is why it's a problem. This yeah. is what you, the priest, need to do. That's so useful. That sort of clarity of sort of communication in a situation like that. Why, thank you. Because we look, we just like we can't leave here without this. But it made me wonder what kind of formation do priests go through? Maybe from your example, how were you formed in the seminary to hear confessions? Sure. So, and I'd say there's like two parts. There's how you're formed and then what's your ongoing formation after oh. you get ordained. Oh, and, ongoing. Okay. And that's that piece, I think, where there ends up being a lot of trouble because sort of, spoiler, the priests don't often do ongoing formation. Once, you know, if you're a doctor, if you're a teacher, if you're a nurse— pretty much any professional, a lawyer, you have to every couple years do like new training. Yeah, yeah. Priests, which is also a service and care sort of quote unquote industry, doesn't have to do any of that. Mm. Counselors have to do that. We counsel, we don't have to do that. So I think that leads to some trouble in the long run. Okay. But in, in terms of my original training, so I went to the Western Jesuit School of Theology, which is now part of Boston College, but at the time it was its own standalone place in Cambridge, Mass. And it was a school that was half Jesuits training to be priests mm -hmm. and half lay people who were training to work in the church. Oh. And we had a, yeah, which was great. We had a semester-long class, I think in our third year, so right before we were becoming ordained priests, that was just about confession. It was once a week, I think three hours long. And what it would involve was we would have readings. Mm -hmm. We had a great couple books, including one book by Bill Barry, a Jesuit who, who died actually just last year about spiritual direction that was sort of about listening. But mm. it was books about the practice of being a good listener and of being a good confessor and articles about that. That was one aspect. And then we would have a lot of role plays. Oh. where every week we would be given situations and we would either be the confessor, the penitent, or we'd be there watching okay. that happen. And then we would give feedback or receive feedback from everyone else, including our teacher or other teachers that would be brought in, which would sometimes include lay people, which was great. Were any of the lay people women? Because I always... Yes. Am, okay, so thank you. Because <laughs> I'm always wondering, is this just simply only a male perspective in the formation of it, but to hear that there were women present, that's good, in my opinion. I think there could always be more, though. I think we had a couple women who came in, but I feel like it's such an easy blind spot for yeah. men, yeah. right? That yeah. whether you're a diocesan priest or an order priest, it's all men that you're sort of living with and yeah. interacting with on one level, like in terms of the people above you, your superiors, things like that. So it's very easy in that situation for us to completely misunderstand or just not do well in terms of the treatment of women. There's lots of examples of that, whether it's in the confessional or otherwise. So then are you all trained on how to deal with women in a confessional in particular? I mean, it's funny, you know, one of the things that really came for me from listening to Ms. Davis on Twitter and others who were talking about their experiences, how it made me very aware that, no, I don't think we are. I really think there should be 
a whole part of our training that's just about how do you deal with women? How do you deal with people who are different than you in other ways, who are racially different, who are, mm -hmm. you know, if you're straight, who are queer, mm -hmm. things like that. Like our children. Our children. children. Now, children, actually, I feel like we do more with because that's something that's going to happen a lot in the confessional. But ironically, as I'm saying that out loud, I'm thinking, well, yeah, but you're also going to be talking to women a lot. Or, yeah. or, right. So but I would say we definitely don't do enough by any means in terms of just thinking through what are our own blind spots, really? What are mm. our own assumptions that we have and don't see that are problematic and that could come out in that situation? Can I tell you, I do have a man, an older man, much older, where he said he confessed something in the confessional that had of, of a racial nature, an African-American man. Mm. And the priest screamed at him and said, you did what? Because it was something that he felt the guy had because he was a black man, was out of line. And so the guy said he left the confessional nearly taking the door off the hinges. Wow. But this was back in the 50s. And so to have that experience of, you know, this racist conditioning. So then, so you, before you became a priest, right, you went to confession, you still go to confession now, but after becoming a priest, how did hearing confessions impact you, change you? What would you say? Oh, wow. Uh... It's such a humbling experience. I mean, it is one of the just best parts, really, about being a priest in the sense that it's both, you just feel like you're a witness to a really holy moment in people's lives. Like, you're part of it, I. but it's almost more, for me anyway, like, you get to see God working in a way. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, I think, as you hear other people's sins, it helps yeah. you appreciate your own humanity and that it's okay how you are too. Like it, yeah. their honesty and vulnerability, it invites you to a greater honesty and vulnerability and mm. acceptance and self-acceptance. Uh, mm. It's such a blessing. I do think y'all get a special grace to hear confessions because I had the experience once again, traveling. I seem like I'm always on the road. This is many, <laughs> many, many, many years ago. And I went to confession and they had built these new confessionals and so I was on one side and this other woman was on the other side. Father's in the middle. You know, they have the screens, right? Or whatever. And he had my side closed, right? Because he was talking to the person on the other side. But they had no roof on the top of the confessionals. Oh, so okay. I could hear everything that she was confessing. Oh, Now, mind you, it's not like she was confessing like I've murdered like a bucket of puppies or, you know, or I murdered all these people or anything horrible. It's actually probably a lot of people be like, that was so innocuous. Like, why is she even confessing this? But the heaviness that hit on me so bad, I wanted to run out of the confessional. I was like, I should not be hearing this. And I felt oh. completely not equipped to hear it. And it was such a heavy, heavy thing that I was talking to a religious brother. Actually, I was up in this area visiting him. And he's like, well, you know, you're bound by the confessional too. And I was like, what? He said, if you hear somebody else's sins, you're bound. You can't run out and start talking about it. I said, well, I'm not telling you what she said, but I'm telling you, he said, well, I just wanted to let you know that. So that was a new thing I learned. But I also really realized if I'm breaking down over something so small like this, you know, there's, I don't know, to me, it just really made me believe in a different, from experience, that you all have something special to be able to bear that cross of other huh. people's sins. So let me ask this question, because I went to a parish where the priest did not give the option for going behind a screen, which I oh. thought was weird. And I was like, I ain't going here. I should be the one to decide whether or not. And I was asking another parishioner, why is that the case? And he was like, well, that's how they do it in 
he listed some other faith. And I was like, but we ain't them. So is that a red flag? I mean, that, that where there is an option for the screen that is taken away from you? To me, that seemed like a red flag, but maybe I'm just too sensitive. No, I think that, I mean, a big part of confession is anonymity. People often come to confession wanting anonymity. I've been in many places where there's either option, like you sit in the booth and there's like a section where they can sit and see you and another where they're behind a screen. Yeah. Most of the time, people want to be behind the screen. So yes, I, yes. I personally am with you. I think a parish should always have either option. Or if there's only one option, it should be anonymity, not person to person, because because if people want the person-to-person experience, they can always ask the priest for that. Right, right. I, I had heard from some priest friends of mine that they do penance for the penitents. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. That when they hear confessions, they do penance for their penitents. Wow. And I thought that that was so beautiful, a beautiful way of accompaniment without us even necessarily knowing that they've accompanied us in this way. Yeah. So I thought that was incredible, incredible what's happened. I find there are some confessions, I think a lot of priests will say this, most of the time people worry like, oh, if I know the priest, will he remember? Will it affect our relationship? Yeah. And most of the time, because you're hearing a lot of them and just, I think it's a grace of the sacrament, it just flows through. You're just part of the moment, but it's not like it stays with you. It's not like you even remember it, right? It's, yeah. you're just there in the moment. But there are some that occasionally I found, like they do stay with you and you think of those people a lot and you yeah. pray for them and just hope the best for them. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I was thinking though, as we're having this conversation, I don't want people to think that we're not acknowledging that people do have traumatic experiences in the confessional. Mm. They do. And we're trying to say these are some of the things that you can do about it. But I'm also hoping to be very encouraging to say to don't let that one experience deter them from this August sacrament. And I'm also, though, thinking about, you know, we're in a time of transparency and accountability. Mm. And we know that the sacrament has a seal. What impact should that have in terms of, you know, acknowledging trauma, knowing transparency and accountability, but also understanding that there's a seal of confessional? How do we incorporate that into our understanding and practice of the sacrament of reconciliation? I mean, I think there's nothing more sacrosanct than that seal. And it's so important because it's what enables people to know that what they say is only for this. It allows them to be free and to be vulnerable and So I take it personally, I take it very seriously. And I feel like I was trained in a way to take it seriously. So seriously that things like if I were to see that person again outside of the confessional and we knew each other, I would still, I would never acknowledge that that confession had happened or ask, how are you doing about this? You know, if they wanted to bring something up, that would be completely okay. But you know, that it's, you really, people have to be absolutely free in that situation. And that requires that I don't talk about their confession to anyone else, even to them, that I really let that moment. Yeah. A very hard boundary. Yeah. It will not be broken by the priest ever, even if you get subpoenaed. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, it's, that's just part of it. I know it can be controversial around some issues like abuse, and I completely understand why it's controversial. And it's important that we talk about it. But Mm -hmm. In general, my own belief would be, yeah, you you just have to. I think there are probably situations in which a priest probably feels like they wish they could say something. Sure. I certainly have been in that situation. Sure. 
And that can be a heavy thing to carry, but it's just part of what we commit ourselves to and that, and we sort of trust that somehow God will find a way through this and, and hopefully to, to kind of resolve the things that need to be resolved in a good way that helps people. And I also think of God's grace and being able to do that, like just your will to not violate the seal is something that is just beautiful to behold, actually, and to know and to experience. So that's that's so beautiful. And I also like what Pope Francis has said to priests about the confessional. He said, I want to remind priests that the confessional must not be a torture chamber, but rather an encounter mm. with the Lord's mercy, which spurs us on to do our best. And that's from his exhortation, The Joy of the Gospel. And he's a fellow Jesuit, yeah. Bonus, bonus, bonus. So <laughs> what's your take on Pope Francis's approach as evidence in his comments and joy of the gospel? Yeah, I love those comments so much. I always think, I don't know if this makes sense to people. I feel like a priest in a confessional is like a marriage counselor. Mm. And so I want to create a context in which the person feels comfortable speaking to the Lord yeah. and hearing the Lord hear them see them and love them. Oh, yes, yes. That's the thing. So these other roles of judge or cop or whatever, reporter, like <laughs> those don't make any sense to me. Right. I'm just there to like, and sometimes it's really not about what a priest says, I think. It can be just about the context that they create. Do they make a space where people can speak their truth? Yeah, yeah. And if they too, that the rest is going to happen. I mean, God enters in. Yes, yes. Yes, he does. Okay. Mm. He really, really does. Mm. I do believe that I am encountering Christ when I go into the confessional. I really believe that. And sometimes I tremble because I know he's there. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering one thing about maybe people listening to this conversation, after listening to this conversation, you know, what are we going to say to people about this? What are we going to say now? What do we say to others when they ask about the sacrament of reconciliation or harm that they may have experienced in the sacrament? I think I'd say... I feel like you said this already so well. I feel I hope that people listening know that God loves them and that the sacrament is there for them to help them be free of any burdens or sins they've been carrying. And it's a way of God expressing God's love for them. And I think that what we're talking about is, I hope it's much more the exception than the rule, that there are occasionally bad experiences, but in general, things go pretty well, maybe better than people might expect. Indeed. But if someone were to have a bad experience, I hope they'd find someone else, whether it's a priest or a lay person that they could share that with, like this incredible woman did online and other women did as well, mm -hmm. and that that can be a path forward for them back to the sacrament and to healing in their lives. Amen. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that's what people gather from this too, and that there are ways to report what they think are abusive things yeah, as well. For sure. But don't give up on the sacrament. It's so much, so much beauty there. And to anyone listening, I am truly sorry if you have experienced something bad and traumatic mm. in the confessional. I've been there, as you know, because I've talked about it earlier in the show. And so I feel that with you. But I also know what happens when you continue and, and encounter that loving, healing touch in Christ, maybe with a different priest at a different time, at a different confession. But don't let that one experience rob you of the beautiful encounter of the merciful, loving arms of Jesus that you can experience in a confessional. So thank you so much, Father Jim. Let me mention again for our listeners, your article that was published in America is called Sex and Confession, Five Helpful Guidelines. 
We will link it in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to read the article, you can just go into the show notes and click the link. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for having me. And I just want to share with you, I want to res- echo exactly what you said, that if people feel, when people have been hurt by priests, whether it's in the confessional or otherwise, I too, I'm so sorry for that. And I hope that you can find other priests or other Catholics, other parishes that can help you to experience God's love in the way that you deserve and that God wants you to experience it. So yeah, thanks for letting me be a part of all this. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or a family member. And be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Oh, and leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Sebastian Gomes and engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.